Uh, At 32nd and Woolworth, a president was born. (laughs) All right. Happy President's Day, everybody. I'm very excited to do this. We have a president that was born in Omaha. And how many people really know the story of his time here? Not many, but one man does, and he told it incredibly in his best-selling book, An Ordinary Man, The Surprising Life and Historic Presidency of Gerald R. Ford. So we welcome to Omopod the author, Richard Norton Smith, and acclaimed historian, you see him all over the place, PBS <laughs> NewsHour, C-SPAN, uh, and director of five presidential libraries, biographer of George Washington, Thomas Dewey, Nelson Rockefeller, and Gerald Ford, Richard Norton Smith, welcome. Honored to have you. No, thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. And, and happy President's Day. Yes, happy President's Day. No one I would rather have. I was the first person outside the family to see Gerald Ford's baby book. Yeah. Which actually takes us back to Omaha and the Omaha story because there's a very poignant passage. One page, it says, baby's first automobile ride. You have to back up a bit. Yeah. Lots of people don't realize that Gerald Ford was not born Gerald Ford. He was born Leslie King Jr. in Omaha in July of 1913. The hottest day of the year, July 14th, 1913. Absolutely. Uh, At 32nd and Woolworth. 15-room mansion. The home of C.H. King and his wife, Mary. Fascinating uh, backstory. Yeah. Yeah. C.H. King was born in Pennsylvania, but in 1884, he and his wife moved to the Sand Hills of Nebraska. And he founded what became a major commercial empire. He had banks and lumberyards. At one point, I think he even had a stage freight line. In any event, he was a millionaire several times over. And they just he did it because of the, the train route was why he picked there. It was such a <laughs> random thing, but he could see it coming. Absolutely. He decided to make Omaha his base of operations. And befitting his newfound status, they found this 15-room house. And in 1912, his son, Wesley Lynch King, met the roommate of Leslie's sister. This was at a small women's college in Galesburg, Illinois. Her name was Dorothy Gardner. She was from Harvard, Illinois. And by all accounts, it was a whirlwind romance. Leslie was dashing, charismatic. Leslie King proposed. They were married in September 1912 in Harvard. They came back to Omaha And it was a classic mother-in-law from hell. Mary King wanted nothing to do with this woman. In fact, apparently, the Kings had already picked out a wealthy California widow as the perfect uh, wife for their their son. You you found in, was that in the divorce paper? That's what President Ford never knew. And and that's a story. Ford had in his keeping all the divorce papers associated with, with his mother's divorce, which took place at the end of 1913. Now, he could have destroyed those. And the interesting thing is, it tells you a lot about Ford. He decided, first of all, that he had an obligation to history not to destroy them. But what he would do is he would keep them. He gave them to the library with the understanding 
that they would only be open after his death. And that's exactly what happened. Anyway, going through all of that, which included, by the way, newspaper coverage, extensive newspaper coverage of this divorce, and then the sequel, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. But in, in any event, the marriage was a disaster from day one, literally. It was almost Jekyll and Hyde. But the sad yeah. thing, and even in reading the book that you sketch, is like, on paper, this should have worked. He was a high society person. She was well-to-do society woman. She aspired to be, there's no doubt about it, part of the, for lack of a good word, upper crust. Yeah. Um, she and, believed and, and in really, women's um, education and progressive views at the time that even yes. some women didn't believe. And, and so this had to have been doubly shocking for her. I really felt for her. And I wonder, as you can go well, on, but also what Ford ever told you about his parents or his Omaha experience. Yeah, too. that's interesting because some of this I think he literally didn't know. Yeah, uh, right. But, but in going through the divorce papers, I was able to almost day by day reconstruct this marriage, which really was very brief Yeah. in terms of the time they were actually physically together. As I say, the honeymoon was on the West Coast, and it was a disaster. And without getting into the gory details, it's pretty clear that he was physically abusive. And she, as soon as they arrived back in Omaha, she left. She left to go to her sister who lived in Chicago. She found out she was pregnant. Yeah. You stop to think, this is 1912. The options that women had were non-existent. Yeah. She's a remarkable woman in many respects. She went back trying, determined to try to make the marriage work. Actually, there were a couple more attempts. And in July... As I say, of 1913, the baby was born. Now, two weeks later, I said in the baby book with the heading, Baby's First Automobile Ride. Turns out, on July 28th, exactly two weeks after the birth of his son, Leslie King Sr., I think presumably lubricated. Yeah. Because he did have a drinking issue. Walked into his wife's bedroom with a butcher knife and threatened them both. Now, Dorothy, two days later, slipped out of the house, and obviously I think she had family waiting for her. But but the fact is, baby's first automobile ride was in the bridge across the river to the Iowa side where they caught a train for Chicago. Yep. And divorce proceedings were initiated before the end of 1912, basically. There had been a divorce granted but the interesting thing is there's a sequel her parents lived in grand rapids michigan and that's where she went and uh, she met a man named gerald ford who we would know as gerald ford senior and they hit it off and eventually 1917 they were married and leslie king jr although he was never formally adopted for reasons that have never been explained yeah but he always regarded Gerald Ford Sr. as his father. Now, this extraordinary story that actually the president did tell me, he never met his birth father until he was about maybe 14. He was working the lunch shift in a hamburger joint across the street from where he went to school. Obviously, attempt to make some money. And because the family really didn't have much, 
And he looked up and he noticed a stranger across the room who was staring at him. And eventually he came up. This man said, you're Leslie King. And he said, I'm Gerald Ford. He said, no, you don't understand. You're Leslie King and I'm your father. Wow. That's how he met his father. And he took him to lunch. And when they parted, he gave him $25, blew into his life, blew out of his life. That night, Ford told his parents about the experience, and he said he cried himself to sleep. Wow. And he only saw his birth father on a couple more occasions. But the remarkable the sequel to this is that years later, in the 1930s, Ford is at Yale Law School and coaching at the same time. He's got a very full wife. And his mother decides, all these years, by the way, the court-ordered child support, which Wesley King never paid. Yeah. His father, C.H. King, who was still in Omaha, was decent enough to pay what his son had been ordered to pay. But he died eventually. And so anyway, I think what happened, the president never talked about this. And he, in fact, he didn't mention it in his memoir because I think it was clearly too painful. Yeah. But he worked one summer as a ranger at Yellowstone Park at a great time. But on the way out, he stopped in Wyoming at his birth father's ranch. And it was very clear that his birth father was very prosperous he had done very well for himself, et cetera, et cetera, and never thought to provide any financial support right. to his son. Anyway, and he told that story to his mother. Something flipped the switch, and she decided, you got to remember, Dorothy Gardner, now Dorothy Ford, was this devout churchgoer. Everyone's mother slash grandmother had a kind word for and about everyone with one exception, and that was her former husband. And she took him to court for the unpaid child support, and she won. And, of course, he tried to hide his assets. All of this, by the way, is covered at great length in the Omaha newspapers, which say this is one of the most notorious cases of its kind ever seen in Omaha. Yeah, and you do a good job uh, of, I think, explaining, and it's like we hear abuse and it was bad and we have our imaginations, but this was to the extent that crowds would gather outside of the mansion. This was something well known to the police at the time. This was a society scandal. Yeah, this was a story that had real reverberations, both in the original context that you mentioned back in 1912, 1913, when she left him. But then it reverberated again 25 years later in an Omaha courtroom. And so anyway, it got to the point, at one point, she actually had him thrown in jail. He spent a night in jail. In any event, they eventually settled the case. He paid a for then uh, a fairly significant, and, and Joe Ford never saw or heard from his birth father again until he was 15 years old he was known as Junie yeah for for Junior but he literally he did not know when people addressed him as Junie including his mother whether they were addressing him as Junie King or Junie Ford and 
one of the remarkable things I discovered, one of the first bills he introduced when he went to Congress in 1948, which is an improbable story in itself. Yeah. But he, he's in Congress 1949, won the election in 48, having defeated a, a Republican incumbent congressman in the primary. He introduces legislation that would, in effect, federalize child support payments. There was no way Congress in 1949 was going to do anything so radical. Yeah. But here's the remarkable thing. Fast forward 25 years, he's president. One of the first bills that crosses his desk is, in effect, an updated version of what he tried to get passed in 1949. Tells you how far society had moved. Yeah. He signed the bill, but this is utterly typical of Ford. And it's one reason why your neighbors in Omaha probably don't know more about his story and its connections to Omaha. He never mentioned a word about why he might have a particular interest right. in that legislation. And can you make any other politician today, quite frankly, to be blunt, would have exploited the hell out of yeah, it right. for the emotional connection that it would establish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Ford was of that generation, particularly of Midwesterners, who were defined, I think, by their decency, but also in some ways by their reticence. There were a lot of things he didn't talk about. And I think I kicked myself. You asked me about things that he might have talked about. And I kicked myself regularly over all the questions I didn't ask him sure. when I had the chance. But at the, at the same time, Two sides of the coin. I think there are things he took with him to the grave. But I also think there are things that he didn't know that I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, would you, would you ever hear him talking about Omaha or the very early days? Would your ears perk up? Would you ever find yeah, him well, in the right mood yeah, and ask? He, he didn't talk about his early days. Yeah. I think in part because it was a painful subject. Sure. Not Omaha, but the, the whole relationship with his parents. Yeah. Of course, he didn't really know his birth father. He, he did say that he understood that he was a heel. And, for example, he didn't know on his father's side. One of the things I discovered early on that had never appeared in print, he had a grandfather yeah. who was a bigamist. Yeah, incredible. You know, who was killed in a train accident with a woman who purported to be his wife. His real wife was a couple hundred miles away in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I literally do not know whether Ford knew. I found an interview where Ford mentioned he knew that his grandfather had died in a train accident. And, of course, if he had known, he probably wouldn't have volunteered. So who knows? It's one of those mysteries. But that's part of what makes biography, I won't say fun, but a constant challenge. It's a little bit like an Agatha Christie mystery. Yeah. You find yourself following clues. Sometimes they lead places and sometimes they don't. I was down at the Gerald Ford birthplace down at 32nd and Woolworth just prior to us recording. And I feel like a little bit like it is appropriate for Ford because I feel like we're not sure what to do with it to some extent. The uh, house is not there anymore. There is a model and a, a pavilion thing that has a couple displays and you can touch the button and Ford actually speaks and tells you like, here's where the house was. Yeah. And there's some interesting yeah. things. He was there in 76 as president, I believe for the dedication. There's his golf clubs. Frankly, it could use a good 
raking at the least, and there's a monument with all the presidents that ends at Obama. It doesn't have anything more current than that. Some of the other things have fallen off. Why is it important that we honor Gerald Ford's birthplace? I visited several years ago with a group. I do a couple history tours every year. And we happened to be doing a Midwest tour, and we stopped in Omaha. And, of course, visiting presidential sites is our specialty. So we went there, and I, and I remember thinking at that time, I thought, this is very nice. Yeah. I remember Ford being very impressed. He, again, I told you, he was such a modest guy. He told me the story about the gentleman who, I guess, was an admirer and who was responsible for for creating this in the first place. Uh, and I don't know much more about it than that. Well, first of all, obviously, you would hope that whatever is there is maintained yeah. with the appropriate respect just for the history. Yeah. It's a significant chapter of Omaha's history. Exactly. Not many cities can say that they're the birthplace of an American president. That said, Ford wasn't, for example, his presidential library, which I can see from the windows of my apartment here in Grand Rapids. Yeah. He always said he didn't want it to be a monument to him, yeah. um, but he wanted to be much more a classroom of American democracy, a, a living, evolving, programming, a contribution to Grand Rapids and West Michigan. And just off the top of my head, you mentioned this, it would seem to me that wouldn't it be nice if Omaha did something at a dinner or something on Ford's birthday. Right. I mean, it could be maybe associated with a local college or university, and it might be maybe a, a theme on the presidency or people who have either former presidents or people who worked in the White House or so. Something that would be a really unique, that would contribute to the cultural and intellectual life, if you will, of the city. I think I'm just imagining the way Ford's mind worked, something like that, I think would appeal to him more than a stone and glass sure. monument, no, if you will. Yeah, but, that's a great I mean, thought. Ford was very touched by it. He went there, I don't know if he was there for the dedication, but he went there early in its life, and he was impressed. But then he would be impressed that, quite frankly, anyone noticed. He was just that kind of person. And, he, you know, and a few times we, the subject came up, he had very warm things to say about Omaha. Yeah, it seems, and there's some quotes and some other things that it, I'm glad it didn't leave a bad taste in his mouth. And again, from the book, we no, know we know it was 16 days, right? That was that he was here from birth to <laughs> the, the fate, fateful yeah. cab ride but to come. In some Bluff. ways, the most important 16 days of his life. Yeah, but, true. Well, we saw because how they began, and in effect, how they ended, and what they pointed him to. Yeah, it was because, in many ways, of Omaha that he became Gerald Ford. Yeah, perfect way to wrap it up. Richard Norton Smith, check out An Ordinary Man from HarperCollins. Incredible book. I'll link to it on the newsletter side. Thank you so much. Special thanks to the people and listeners in Omaha. And I hope you all have a great day.